0: Like many others sitting in this room tonight, I am a former New Yorker. I lived uh, there for four years, and I lived in four different apartments in four years, which, by the way, I don't recommend. (laughs) Moving in New York City is actually far less enjoyable than moving everywhere else. And I think overall, no, I don't think, I know overall I loved being a New Yorker. It's an amazing city. You have to have drive to make it there. Like Frank Sinatra saying, right? If you can make it there, you can make it Anywhere. Wow, they know the tune. <laughs> now if we can get you singing that, E'lecham d'alibi like that, now then we'll be somewhere. So I loved that being a New Yorker required ambition and grit and brought these things out in me, pushed me to be my better self. But there are also things that I began to notice about myself as a New Yorker that I liked a lot less. The pace of the city and of my commitments led me to feel rushed, harried all the time. I became, I think, less patient, more cautious around strangers, resentful of tourists. I'm telling you, when you see a person from New Jersey, you just know after a certain amount of time. Okay, sorry for all of those from New But you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, sorry. Sorry. All right. Please send me all of your emails afterwards. My wife's from New, family's from New Jersey, so it's uh, (laughs) like. I think the first time I realized that I was truly a New Yorker was when I became locked in a battle of the wills with a cab driver and won. (laughs) But I also became suspicious of other people. I became very uh, cautious and suspicious, especially of panhandlers, who you see, of course, all over the city. This is probably the most challenging thing for me, or it was when I was there, because Judaism teaches us that when we're asked to give tzedakah, to give to somebody who doesn't have, we should do it quickly, cheerfully, without cynicism. But I admit that I had a hard time feeling compassion toward every single person who asked me to help them out. The need is overwhelming. Some of them were clearly abusing substances, Others might have been running a scam. How was I to know? I felt what we say in Judaism is midat hadin, the attribute of judgment coming out in myself, perhaps far too often. Too often, I think, I hardened my heart to other people. Fast forward. October 2019, two weeks ago, I found myself back in the city on a subway train in Midtown on the way to my aunt's birthday dinner. When I sat down, the gentleman sitting across the aisle from me immediately engaged me in conversation. He was neatly dressed, holding a large blue suitcase. Noticing my kippah, he started speaking with me in Hebrew. His name was Eddie, he informed me, and he was an Israeli expatriate living in Washington, D.C. He was also a chef, and he was just on his way back home from a job interview in New York, but wouldn't you know it, he had somehow lost his debit card. But he said it in Hebrew, so it sounded very convincing. <laughs> so, of course, the perfect storm of factors. Uh, he didn't have enough cash on him to cover a train ticket. Uh, It was Sunday, so the bank was closed and couldn't help him out immediately. His wife was traveling out of the country, and by the time she wired him the money, it would have been too late for him to get back home. So, couldn't I please help him with the train ticket? He would gladly reimburse me as soon as he got home. Zelomatanah, Zelomatanah. what he said over and over again. It means it's not a gift. This is not tzedakah. You help me. I promise that I'll pay you back. Now, I can't even tell you how many times I have declined similar requests during my years living in New York City. But I admit that I found him honest, and I wanted to help. I asked him about his training. Eddie told me about attending culinary school in Lyon. He told me where he lived in Washington these days, even sharing his address with me. And as it happens, it was an address that was in the neighborhood where I used to live in Washington, D.C., near the National Zoo. And so I said, oh, 3200 Connecticut Avenue. I know that. Woodley Park is, yeah, right near the zoo, right near the zoo. And I said, oh, yeah, it is. So his story really, it all checked out. (laughs) With about 30 seconds left before we got to Times Square, I had a snap decision to make. Of course, we all make dozens, even hundreds of judgments about our fellow human beings every day. We want to assume the best of people, right? But let's be honest: you get scammed, you get slighted a few times, and you might start to approach people in a new light, with a bit more suspicion. Judaism tells us to approach every person lechav zechut, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But on the other hand, who likes to be a sucker? But the subway doors were about to open, and I had a decision to make. I told Eddie that I wanted to trust him, knowing in my heart that there would be no guarantees. But I think there was something about the fact that he was Jewish, that we shared a conversation in Hebrew, that we could talk about Israel, that he knew about chef things, and it seemed to me with my limited, though partial experience, that he knew what he was talking about, that And you know what? It was also right after the high holidays, so give me a break, okay? (laughs) I have to admit that everything I just mentioned had an effect on me, and I have never done this before, seldom in my life done this before, but when we got off the train, I walked with him to the Chase Bank on 45th Street. I withdrew the money for his train ticket. I wished him a pleasant voyage, and that was that. He gave me his phone number, and we texted back and forth a little bit. An hour later, I asked, Baseder, Did you get to the train okay? Yes, todah, he said. Chag Sameach, he said over text. Have a happy holiday. That was the last I heard from Eddie. <laughs> the Torah is deeply concerned with human nature and the makeup of just society. How do we build it? How do we get there? So much so, in fact, that it gives us catastrophic stories of destruction and near-destruction as society is challenged and deteriorates and begins to unravel. We are reading one such story this week of Noah and the flood. As children, of course, we learned about the wondrous ark, the animals who come on two by two. If you're Cantor in ECC, the unicorn. (laughs) The dove with the olive branch announcing the end of the flood the rainbow, God's promise of peace and safety that God will never destroy the world again. But the truth is that the story starts in a much darker place. Vayar Adonai ki ata adam God saw how wicked humanity had become, that their designs were only of evil all the time. Adonai ki asa And God regretted creating human beings. Just in case the point isn't clear, a few verses later, we get a similar preamble again: cheta Aretz, Lifneha, Elohim, Vatimaleha, Aretz, Hamas. The earth became corrupt and filled with violence, and God saw that all living things abandoned their ways. So God destroyed it, decided to destroy the earth. You know the next part of the story. God sends a massive flood that destroys every living thing on earth, save one pair of each animal. A harsh decree, to be sure, particularly in light of the Torah's silence concerning the nature of the transgressions that led us there. Our medieval commentators tackle this problem in many ways. It was theft, some say, violence, sexual immorality. The 12th century commentator David Kimchi, known as the Radak, explains that the Negative impulse, the Yetzir Hara, totally overwhelmed the positive impulse, the Yetzer Hatov, such that good deeds and goodwill totally evaporated from the face of the earth. As for God's reaction, our great commentator Rashi from the 11th century elaborates that the further society slipped, the further God's judgment came to dominate the merciful attribute that God has. Eventually, there was no trust, a total breakdown in the relationship no inclination for change. And so God decided to start the world from scratch. But then there's this curious phrase, which I mentioned a moment ago. He Kolbasar kol basar et meaning all living things, according to the Torah, abandoned their way. Abandoned their way? What does that even mean? Abraham Ibn Ezra, a third medieval commentator, explains. All living things abandon their inborn instincts that are known to be good and correct. And Rashi says that this refers to dating. He says humans stopped going out, they stopped getting married, animals stopped procreating. All creation lost interest in perpetuating itself an undoing of nature, a reversal, if you will. So that's what I want to focus on conceptually. Because although the theories about the what's and the why's that led to the flood differ, our commentators are all agreeing on something critical. The Torah is essentially optimistic about human nature. Sure, there are tons of stories about misbehavior and punishment. But from first principles, starting with Genesis chapter 1, when humans are created in God's image, the expectation is that human beings are good and will do good caveat, of course, is that we also have free will. We have a choice. How do we exercise our goodness? Or do we lahashrit et darko? To, do we burn the bridges and go a different way? The text is remarkable because it says in response that God actually became sad in God's heart. It is not difficult for me to imagine a tormented God crying out to Noah, so upset that humans forsook the promising path on which they first began. I think Stevie Nicks said this best from her own heartbreak, right? You know what I'm going to say. You can go your own way. You can call it another lonely day. I imagine God on a different scale, to be sure, lamenting the end of this first effort with her words. If I could, says God, maybe I would give you my world. How can I when you won't take it from me? You can go your own way. Go your own way. Earlier this week, I texted Eddie. (laughs) It had been about a week since we met. I hadn't heard back from him, and I didn't hear back from him all day. Later that evening, I decided to give him a call. Picked up my phone. Welcome to Verizon Wireless. This number is incorrect or has been disconnected. (laughs) So now, as you know, I'm pretty sure I know how this all ends. And I refuse to let it color my outlook on humanity. I'll likely never know just why he did it. Maybe Eddie couldn't afford to feed his family. Maybe his daughter was in the hospital, and it was the only way he could find to pay a hospital bill. Probably not, but maybe. I suppose it would be much easier to assume that Eddie is a scam artist and just an overall scummy guy. But how does that benefit me? At this point, how does it benefit me to go and do anything less than give him kaf zichut, than provide him with anything other than the benefit of the doubt? People do what he did every single day. People do far worse things every single day. And it doesn't for a moment impact the Jewish responsibility to view all people with the spark of God's potential, with the power of conscience and goodness and hope. Torah teaches us that pragmatism and optimism are not mutually exclusive. Living in the messiness of the human condition requires both, constantly. Maybe next time I'm asked to help somebody out in New York City I'll respond a little more cynically and with greater resistance. But if I do respond that way, then I hope the time after that, I won't. (laughs) Maybe I'll get scammed again. Maybe I'll help a person in need, or likely some combination of both of these. Life is too short to live with resentment. There is too much good in people to to assume the worst of people. The temptation is always there to abandon the good way, to go our own way. But we have the choice to go the right way always, the way of goodness and love. Let no amount of hate or evil harden our hearts, cause us cynicism, and deter us from that goal. Shabbat shalom. Her service begins to conclude on page 586 with Elenu Elenu in fact is about well, the okay. good news